Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are here to set the stage for Penn State's regular season finale. It's a matchup against Michigan State this Saturday, 4 p.m. back in Beaver Stadium. Uh, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, and myself will all be in the press box early on Saturday. A lot to look ahead to in terms of some availability questions. And we also going to get the chance to see, I'd imagine, some guys play now that some red shirt conversations have ended with the amount of games left. So we'll talk about all that and plenty more give you our predictions our players to watch for this one a little bit later uh, with mark and daniel just to give you the lay of the land here on thanksgiving week we're coming to you with our second episode here on a wednesday we recorded on a tuesday um so all of our practice coverage which takes place weekly on a wednesday basis you can get all of that at lions247.com between now and game day who was out of practice what were they doing what did we observe those notes will be over at lions247.com along with recruiting notes on what's shaping up to be another interesting day for some prospects getting back to campus as well. But as always, in our look ahead to the next matchup, our conversation begins with some opposing perspective. And to do that, we've had him on at least two or three seasons in a row now at this point, and we're going to have him in the press box with us visiting Beaver Stadium this Saturday, Stephen Brooks, who covers the Michigan State Spartans for 24-7 Sports. Stephen, good to have you back. Absolutely. Good to be back. I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there, hopefully all my travel aligns all right you know it's, it's always dicey around thanksgiving being in an airport you never know what can happen but uh yeah beer stadium is one of i believe three left that i still have to get to in the big time so really looking forward to crossing that off uh, we're, we're, I'll be happy to have you. I hope it, it all works out for you. Fingers crossed. But let's focus in on this matchup. I know that you know, midway through the game last week when you're watching Michigan State play at home against Indiana, you're like, OK, it's time to start making some bowl trips. I got to plan around some kind of December trip to see this team play a 13th game. Suddenly they lose the grips on a 17 point lead. They lose in double overtime. And now the Spartans come to Beaver Stadium five and six and they got to find a way to pull off an upset or that's it for this 2022 season. Probably, although I keep seeing, hearing, reading that they might be one of those teams that can backdoor in at five and seven. Hey, my alma mater did it last year. My, I, I've seen it happen. Right. <laughs> I don't know if they'd be interested in that. I, I don't. I haven't researched that uh, scenario too much yet in terms of what has to happen. But yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, yeah, this this is it. You know, and and even beyond that, like they have to go out there. I think, or the opportunity at least is on the table to to wash this stink off. And that, that that Indiana game is a nasty, musty stench, you know, that's going to hang around them for a while. That's it was, It's easily, I think, I haven't heard any argument to the contrary. I don't know how anybody could. I think that's easily the worst loss of the Mel Tucker era so far. Um, you know, it harkened back to sort of the darkest days of the, at the end of the Antonio era where things were clearly trending the wrong way. Um, so, yeah, you don't want to wear that smell, that stink, that filth, like I said, for – six, seven, eight months coming up here until you play, you know, until you get into training camp and whatnot and can try to change the vibe a little bit, you know. So you beat Penn State, that'll be obviously an up note. And then you got a bowl game and you, you can make a memory there or something. But for right now, if they don't win this game, that Indiana collapse is going to sort of be, you know, if you distill this whole season down to one image, one sentence, you know, a tweet's worth of information or whatever, it's going to be that Indiana game because there, there's been a lot that people have been unhappy with, but that was by far, you know, the lowest uh, low point for sure. So that's, that's really, to me, what this is all about. I think they got to just remove that, that bad feeling from everybody's mouth, players, coaches, but fans in the community as well. Um, because again, I think that if they don't beat Penn State, that's going to be the lasting image of this 2022 season. Last Saturday, our listeners were focused on what was happening in Piscataway, Penn State piling up the points at Rutgers. Um, you know, no offense to beautiful Big Ten East football, but eyes may have been elsewhere when when people were watching on TV. Talk us through what exactly kind of calamity played out in East Lansing, because the way you're describing it here as we get toward the end of, of year three with Mel Tucker, I think we got to peel back some layers here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they go up. Look, I mean, Indiana – this team, I don't really know where the, where the correct starting point is. I guess maybe, you know, the Michigan game, they played pretty tough up there. And then obviously the tunnel thing, the fight afterwards, just overshadowed everything on the field immediately. And so they lose eight players there. They go on the road the next week, down those eight guys, three of them starters, in upset Illinois on the road. And everybody was like, whoa, you know, what the heck did that, what was that all about? Um, and so then, you know, they followed up with a, with sort of a, just a workman-like kind of just boring in the best sense of the word win over Rutgers just took care of business and everybody thought it would just be that again for Indiana like just you're the better team go beat them don't make any drama out of it and just move on and then 
you know, then you can really sort of party with where if you upset Penn State and you win a bowl game, somehow this team ends up with eight wins. And um, that was kind of the vibe. You know, people had accepted that the season was not going to be what everybody hoped or thought it would. But the second half of the year, the way the team had showed some fight, had bounced back from some of that off the field stuff. You know, they were going to be it was going to be palatable, I think. And they could, you know, at least tip their cap to the way these guys sort of battled it out and and salvaged something decent out of it. So Indiana was sort of like, with all due respect to them, I mean, they lost seven in a row. And that was a gimme, right? I mean, that was the one where you're supposed to take care of business at home, senior day. Then they end up losing to a quarterback who completes two passes, two passes uh, completed by Dexter Williams in that loss. So Michigan you State watched that. You watched that? all of that. And you watched all of that. Oh, yeah. It was at, at least you got paid to watch it. Hey, that's that's the good thing. Right, right. Hey, no complaints from me. Um, and I didn't have to be out there in like 12 degree wind chill or whatever it was either. So uh, they go up 24 7 and a half, and it looks exactly like, like I mentioned, like you thought it would be, like, like I think all the fans hoped it would be just business like, tidy, clean, nothing to worry about here. Let's just get through this and make it sort of a celebration. Uh, and then things, you know, the wheels fell off fairly quickly. They led up an 88 yard kickoff return touchdown. Uh, they, they just, they can't, they, they had some trouble containing the quarterback run. Like I said, I mean, the guy completed two passes. He wasn't doing much through the air, but he was the Dexter Williams. Their quarterback was, was just jigging and juking around, you know, and making some plays with his feet. He was hard to stop the run game as a whole. Their backs broke off a few ones. Um, I think they let their guard down a little bit in the second half, but mostly it was, it was mistakes. You know, they let up a, a big kick, kick return early in the game before they give up the 88 yard return for the touchdown. And then it started to get just really dicey. Um, they had an opportunity to tie it at the end of regulation, despite everything that went on and, and giving up the 24 seven lead uh, with a chip shot field goal. And they blew it. You know, they missed the, 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 the easy kick right there on the goal line that would have won the game for them. Um, the play before that, they had a run called. They're on the left hash. They had a run called to the center of the field. The running back cut it left, so they stayed on the left hash, and he didn't get anything out of it. So it made it a little more difficult on the kicker. There was some time management stuff by the staff at the end of regulation that was uh, questionable, you know, to say the least. And that's not the first time that's happened. So that's a recurring thing that, that people were really frustrated about. It's like, what are you guys doing with the timeouts? What are we doing in the final minute? Are, we, are you trying to score a touchdown? Are you playing for field goal position? What's going on here? Are you playing for the last, you know, to, for the clock to hit zero when you kick it? What's going on? So there's been a few instances like that. That cropped up again. Uh, and then in the overtime, you know, they block a field goal, but they still can't get out of it. You know, it's double overtime. And, uh, you know, they end up giving up the one-yard touchdown run, and, and that's it. So it was just an, it was a, it was a pretty all-encompassing collapse, a lot on special teams. And, like I said, the clock management, the coaching stuff, I think it really has people um, – you know, upset probably as much as anything because we've seen that a couple times late in the Illinois game, late in the Wisconsin game. Both games they won, but uh, when you have sort of a bit of a pattern going here, I mean, that's something that people are starting to get concerned about. There's a lot of mess that you just put out there to sort through. One thing that kind of stood out to me, though, was the, the kickoff return coverage issues. They gave up a touchdown. They gave up another long kickoff. We just saw Nick Singleton, the, the freshman phenom here, go 100 yards on the road in Piscataway for a kickoff return touchdown. So we'll see maybe if, if that's a factor. Michigan State certainly can't afford a lapse in special teams and, and with the margins as close as it will be uh, on the road here. And, and, and you talk about the frustrations with the coach who is – just about a year, him and James Franklin removed from getting these long, you know, gaudy extensions. Uh, Going to be fixtures in the Big Ten East for 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 a while moving forward, as we'd imagine. James Franklin has followed that up, uh, you know, a seven win season last year with with what they hope will be a ten win regular season campaign. And we're talking about Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker, maybe watching bowl games from home. Where is the kind of balance in trying to equate what happened last year uh, with what has happened this year? Yeah, I, I think most people, I mean, there were some people that, that never got off the cloud, you know, from a year ago or saying, oh, they're going to win 10, 10 or 11 again and be right there in Big Ten contention. I think most reasonable people expected a step back, but I thought, you know, I, I was one of them. Um, I picked them to win eight games. Most people picked them between seven and nine wins. You know, that was the step back, not true Big Ten contention, but still being a pretty good team, ended up in a decent bowl situation um, and all that, you know. Nobody expected, I don't think, uh, this far of a step back. And so that's been tough, you know, because it, it's it's a complicated deal, man, because <laughs> last year should have really never happened, you know, in the sense that you, you just don't go from two wins to 11 in, in year one to two of a coaching staff. Like all of college football history tells us you sort of have to build it incrementally unless you're one of the greats or you're at a, 
you know, just a, a ready-made blue blood type of program, you sort of have to go like from two wins in 2020 to maybe four to five in 2021 to maybe six, seven, eight this year would have been that natural progression. When you go from two to 11, though, it throws, it skews everything. They had one of the five best players in the country in Kenneth Walker III. Um, and he, 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 he masked a lot of holes, a lot of weaknesses, especially on the offensive line. Uh, he made offensive coordinator Jay Johnson look really good, and I don't think he's had a great year followed up by that. Peyton Thorne, the quarterback, exact, exact same thing. He, I think Walker made him look better than he was last year, and he hasn't taken a step in year two. Um, so there was an expectation that they wouldn't be as good, but the way it's fallen off so severely. And now, uh, you know, one of the things you, we can talk about, Kenneth Walker was amazing, one of the, you know, I think five best players in the sport. And he, he patched up those holes, but also elsewhere, you know, on the roster. It seemed like that was another one of the reasons when you look at why Mel Tucker got the contract he did, why he had the support he had, and still does for the most part. Because um, it felt like he squeezed everything out of that roster. You know, I even got a, at the Penn State game last year, I got a text from a coach uh, that night, that snowy night in Spartan Stadium after they won that game. And the text said, I cannot believe we just won 10 games with this roster. You know, they knew, you know, they knew they probably only had four or five guys, six at best, that could play at, you know, at an Ohio State, at a Michigan, at a Penn State. You know, their talent just really wasn't at an 11-win level, quite honestly. So uh, that that sort of skewed expectations a little bit, but internally they sort of knew that they had, they had to, you know, they were still in the build, and they are still in that build. So it's been tough to square in some respects. I, I guess I, I lost my track there, but. They they maximized it last year. It feels like they're not squeeze they're not squeezing every drop of juice out of this team. And then now you throw in some as I mentioned the clock management issues that they sort of teased a little bit last year. They weren't flawless, but it never really bit them. This year there's been three at least you know very glaring notable like whoa what's going on here type of moments. So you add that into some on field frustrations and that gets magnified. Um, so you know all in all I think most people are still very much supportive of Mel Tucker. I, I don't think there's maybe as much blind faith in terms of he's absolutely going to take it where the fans want him to go. And it's just a matter of time. Just hold on. I do think there's some concern about some questions, I guess I should say, about whether he can get it to that level that, that even Mark Antonio got it. And the whole point of paying him 95 million bucks was to take it above where Mark Antonio got it. So I think there's a little less certainty there, but all in all, I do think a lot of people still believe in what he's going to build here and, and recognize that it, it just takes a long time to rebuild the talent, you know, and they, they were so talent deficient in many, many ways. And some of their transfers have not worked out. Some of them have, but many of them probably have not, you know, done much to raise the talent level that like they need. So until the recruiting, if that falls off of, off the cliff, you know, I don't think a lot of people are ready to jump ship yet, but there's no doubt this season has definitely, um, it's dented, I think, the confidence in Mel Tucker and this staff, not, not ripped it to shreds or anything, but it's, it's taken a dent. Kenneth Walker's off winning fantasy football leagues uh, for everybody now. But Peyton Thorne's a, a name that we're familiar with here in this matchup. This will be his third career start against Penn State. This is a Nittany Lions defense that has feasted on really any kind of quarterback play that hasn't been stellar. C.J. Stroud got them in some key moments here, uh, and he's a, he's a Heisman Trophy contender. Michigan relied upon their ground game. J.J. McCarthy really got to just kind of play second fiddle for the offense feels like a matchup where Peyton Thorne's going to have to make some plays and, and go maybe put them in contention here. What kind of a quarterback is he coming into to this matchup at this stage of his career? I don't think he's too different from what Penn State fans are used to and have seen, honestly. I mean, that's that's one of the things. I mean, we could we could go an hour on what's, what has gone wrong this season, but that's one of the things. You know, I think a lot of people assume that in his second year as a starter that he would just naturally take this step a year older. He's got 13 game starts of 14, I guess, of experience under his belt coming into this year. Um, and he just, it just hasn't happened, you know? And as I said, it, it does make you look back and wonder like, huh, how much of that, how much of his year last year was tied directly to Kenneth Walker? Because, of, you know, in the moment you knew that they were incredibly balanced running and throwing. They were very effective doing them both. And they ran a bunch of flea flickers, which almost became like a, a punchline. And that was obviously tied to Kenneth Walker a lot. But so much of his production, too, was play action, you know. And when you have number nine back there, he's going to scare people. And play action is going to work, you know, that you have to respect that. Uh, and now, you know, I think a lot of people hope that he could be a quarterback that you could give him the ball and say, here, son, go win us this game. And he just has not turned into that guy this year. He's still been a sort of an adequate point guard in the sense of just dishing to these weapons that he has. And he does have some really good weapons uh, at tight end and receiver, I think. 
Um, you know, his pass catchers might be they, they can they could stack up against anybody in the league outside of Ohio State, I think. Um, but it hasn't all come together a little bit because of him. He hasn't been as accurate as he was a year ago. He's been way more uh, careless with the ball this year. And that's weird to see because that's kind of what won him the job initially was being risk averse, always making the smart play. Don't gamble with the ball. He's, he's done a lot more of all of that this year. You know, he's made bad decisions. He's gambled and lost. And, you know, I think he's maybe tried to take that step to be that guy where he can put the offense on his shoulders, but it, it just hasn't worked out. Um, the offensive line in front of him is a, is a major reason for a lot of things, you know, that haven't gone well offensively. Although they do pass block pretty well. They protect him pretty well. He doesn't get hit a lot. Um, but they, they don't, until recently, they've somehow found this late season sort of resurgence. They put together a couple nice games in a row. But for the majority of the season, they couldn't really run the ball on anybody uh, at the Power 5 level. And when you can't do that, you know, your play action is broken. It's hard to call plays. It's hard to play quarterback. It's hard to do anything offensively. Like, even if you just don't have a, even a, a, the lowest sort of baseline of what you can get out of your run game. You know, it just if you can't even go in the game and say, hey, I know we're going to get at least let's 50 yards here. There was a point in the season where you couldn't say that about Michigan State. And they did finish well below. You know, they, they put up bar- uh, barely 50 across two games, you know, in the middle of their losing streak. So... Uh, there's a lot there. Yeah, Peyton Thorne, though, like, he's he's still pretty much the same guy you guys have seen. Um, can make some big throws. The thing with him is he's not – he's he's all over the map this year. At least last year he, he would have a, a pretty much a strong, solid game start to finish. Or if he was bad, he you know, he'd correct some stuff. Here it's like he'll have two good series, and then he's off for the next quarter, you know, and then he'll bounce – you know, and then they'll start the second half and go three and out, three and out but then he'll be great for the last 25 minutes. You know, he's very inconsistent this year. And, but as I said, he does have some great weapons on the outside that can make life easy for him. Just, I don't think he's been able to connect with them nearly as much as they need to be. And I thought when you lost Kenneth Walker, this needed to transition to not, you know, Mike Leach air raid, but it needed to be a more of a pass first approach. And, and they've been very hesitant to do that. Thorn six touchdowns, two interceptions uh, against Penn State, five of those uh, passing, one rushing. Uh, last year, 19 of 30 for 268 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He added a rushing touchdown in a 30-27 to 27 victory in East Lansing. So we've got that out of the way. The one thing I want to ask you about, you mentioned uh, that, that receiver group, and, and perhaps it is, a uh, unfortunately for the Spartans, a very underutilized asset of this roster. But when you talk about game wreckers, momentum shifters, because Michigan State's going to need those kind of plays, it feels like, in this matchup. Both sides of the ball, can you go through some names that have that ability to kind of spin this one in the Spartans' favor at any given moment if if the opportunity presents itself? Definitely. I, I love their skill players, you know, and that's why I thought uh, if things were going to break right this year, it was probably because the, the, the passing game was going to take the torch and sort of be the flag bearer on offense. It just hasn't happened. Again, a lot of it you can you can trace back to the offensive line and their struggles. But on the perimeter, uh, Jane Reed, number one, folks know him. Um, you know, six foot one eighty, but just I always say uh, he's way too he's way better at jump balls than he should be at barely six foot at barely one eighty. I mean, and Penn State fans know he can go up and elevate with the best of them. He's very very good at contested uh, catches. He's a childhood friend of Peyton Thorne, so they have a connection that goes well beyond the field for years and years and years. They sort of have that intuitiveness, you know, with one another. Um, and he's not afraid to, you know, last year, that's the one place he would gamble was on throws to Jaden Reed because of that connection, because of just those those um, very, very minute nuance, you know, uh, in the weeds sort of sort of things. He knew, they knew about each other, you know, that they could capitalize on. So Jaden Reed's still here. He's still that guy. He'll still go up top on you, even though he's not that big and, and catch one on your head. He's still a very good uh, punt returner. He's had two punts returned for touchdowns this year. Both of them ended up getting called back by penalty, but still very dangerous there. And then, you know, he's uh, I've always thought of him uh, as sort of as a very, very, very poor man's Antonio Brown, just in terms of his game and his build, because he can catch the underneath stuff and wiggle around and break some tackles in the open field and, and get loose on you. Um, so he's always one to worry about. Keon Coleman is the new name that folks might not be as familiar with, number zero. Uh, incredible jaw-dropping athlete. I mean, just raw physical ability off the charts. 6'4", 215. The guy had a dozen basketball offers, legitimate D1 basketball offers coming out of high school. Google him, YouTube him. I mean, you can see him doing, you know, 360 between the legs dunks in games, triple doubles fairly regularly in high school, and played on Michigan State's basketball team last year and actually got into a few games, not, you know, outside of the final minute, not just mop-up duty. So the guy's a crazy athlete. 
uh, and he plays like it. You know, he goes up and catches these jump balls. He goes up and boxes dudes out in midair. He's a really big looking kid. I mean, he looks the part, looks the part of a future pro, you know, and that's kind of the, the waiting game around here is like, how much is he going to develop in college? How much can he sharpen his skills? Because the, the raw uh, measurables are, that's it's first round material stuff. He's got a lot to put together. He played at a little bit smaller level in high school, but we've seen him emerge throughout the course of the season. Jaden Reed missed a game and a half, and it was kind of the Keon Coleman show offensively um, in terms of like target share and everything, at least. So every week he's, he's making strides. He's like I said, very physical jump balls are man. The, good luck to you. You know, when you got a guy who can leap like that at six, four, very physical, he's starting to get a little more underneath stuff and catch and run type of stuff. But all the talent in the world just is, is still sort of putting it together. Last year, he was one of those guys with just, you know, you know, it happens everywhere. You're coming out of high school, you're just using your athletic gifts to sort of stay afloat there. You know, now he's learning how to play receiver, learning the nuances of the offense and just, um, you know, taking all that to the next level uh, as he sort of develops here. So he's a guy to know for sure. Trey Mosley, 17, is their number three receiver. He's just he's just solid, like, across the board. Like, he's not super fast, but he's he's fast enough. Uh, he's got very, very good hands. Um, not very elusive, but you know he can he can he can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. Like just like B B's across the board, you know, in the grade book. Not not bad at anything. Maybe not great at anything, but very very reliable. And then the two other guys I mentioned all the time that sort of round out that group are tight ends, uh, Malik Carr number six, and Daniel Barker number nine. Carr, uh, like Coleman, also played pulled double duty and played basketball uh, last off season. Also had you know about a dozen or so. D1, you know, mostly low major basketball offers. He wasn't the basketball player that Coleman was, but legitimate, you know, sort of prospect at a lower level there. Um, so you blend that basketball ability with a 6'6", 250-pound frame. And, I mean, the guy's a monster. Again, looks the part, looks like an NFL day one, day two draft pick, just looking at him. Um, it, but all the tight ends, though, you know, this guy's got – Carr has all the talent in the world, but I, I don't have it in front of me. He's definitely got under 15 catches. You know, the tight ends, more than even the receivers, have not been utilized – the way I, I thought that they would. Um, Daniel Barker is another big time receiving that transfer from Illinois. He's mostly just a catch and run guy. Uh, they'll set him up. They'll do run tight end screens with him. They'll send him downfield. They'll throw him uh, balls over the middle. He probably, he maybe has 15 catches. Like I thought that both of those guys, when you have two sort of pro prospects at that position, they always have a tight end on the field. I thought there'd be creative ways they could deploy them both at the same time. And they'd be these matchup nightmares. I thought they really haven't been, you know, every time, especially Malik Carr, number six, when he catches the ball, like something good happens. He moves the chains. He breaks the tackle in the open field. It's a 20-yard gain up the middle. It's a catch and run. Almost every time he touches the ball, something happens. So I'm surprised that they haven't thrown more their way. And Jay Johnson, their offensive coordinator, has always said, the tight end's the MVP of my scheme. Well, you got two guys who look like pros this year, and, and they hardly use, they hardly throw to them. So that's been an underutilized part. But when they show up, they show up in a really big way. All right. Well, we got about a minute left here. I'm curious where you stand. I know it's early in the week with the holiday us recording here on a Tuesday, but where are you leaning for this matchup and, and kind of uh, what's your outlook overall for Penn State versus Michigan State? I'm, you know, I'm leaning towards Penn State winning pretty comfortably. You know, I mean, there's no logical reason. Right. But that's the one thing that gives me hesitation is Michigan State has sort of bucked logic all year. I mean, there's no reason. They should have went down eight suspended players, three of them starters in a wind tunnel, 30 mile an hour gust, you know, down there in Illinois and beat them, you know, and, and, and one, you know, uh, led most of that game. There's no reason for that. Uh, there's no reason they should have melted down against Indiana. So in playing against logic, you know, maybe they go in there and win somehow and it just doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, I, I can't predict that. So logically, yeah, Penn State should be comfortably um in front here i mean michigan states they're so light defensively they haven't tackled in practice for the past three weeks that doesn't bode well for trying to contain that running game of penn state the the, the environment you know i'm sure is going to be electric and you know for a team that i just don't know exactly where their heads are after the indiana meltdown i know they want to get to a bowl game but if they get down 14 nothing in the first quarter are they really going to you know fight that out and potential cold weather hostile environment or are they just going to pack it in and want to go home um so Everything on paper, all the logic, all the numbers, analytics, whatever you want to pull, everything should say Penn State's going to win this game, probably, you know, by double digits. Uh, to predict Michigan State would be illogical, but they've also, like I said, they've bucked logic quite a few times this year. So it wouldn't be the biggest stunner in the world to me, um, but I can't, you know, I can't give you a real idea of, of why Michigan State's going to go in there and pull that off. 
All right, Stephen Brooks covers the Michigan State Spartans for 24-7 Sports. Kind enough to join us here on a game week to give us a heavy dose of what to expect from this team that comes into uh, hobbling a little bit to Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Stephen, thanks for the lowdown. Appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, let's continue our conversation and our look ahead towards this Penn State matchup in Beaver Stadium on Saturday evening with my colleagues from Lions 24-7, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. Each and every week we break things down for pregame. We're with you a little bit early in the week this time. We're recording before that Wednesday look at practice. We'll have notes up on the site at Lions247.com uh, come Wednesday evening. Photos and our thoughts coming out of that availability. But with the holiday schedule, we wanted to get this episode up before everyone was traveling. Uh, we'll be back with another episode in the postgame setting on Saturday. But fellas, uh, we've covered a lot of James Franklin press conferences collectively some of us more than others i can't recall a point specifically in the season where it was as relaxed of a 50 minute q a with the head coach mark brennan as we got on tuesday yeah i think neil rudell of the altoona mirror had it <laughs> said it best it's, it's like uh you know will you always be this comfortable after it would you be this comfortable if it wasn't a 55 to 10 win uh but no I, i'm i'm just joking i mean it was i thought it was cool i mean James Franklin was having a lot of fun with his uh, asking people, you know, what they prefer for Thanksgiving uh, food wise, which started a few years ago, actually with Neil. It was the, the old turkey ham thing. And he went in. Uh, I don't know if he I mean, did you get the sense that he went in thinking he was going to ask like every single person and, and get it going in that fashion? But he did. And uh, it ended up being pretty funny, but he was definitely loose. But by the same token, I mean, he gave major injury updates. So it's you have on one side, it's kind of light on the other, lighthearted on the other side. You know, he's giving a significant update on Parker Washington being lost for the year, and the possibility of uh, Olu Fashanu and Joey Porter Jr. both coming back. So there was there was levity to it, but there was also a lot of a lot of meat in that in that press conference too. That was a good session. And he had plenty to say as well, um, really on Manny Diaz and what he's meant to this program and looking ahead a little bit. I think that's a question is not just retaining the talent that's on the field. And Penn State has a lot of guys to make decisions and you want to reload through the transfer portal and recruiting classes. But you want to keep a lot of this coaching staff intact because what they have cooking is working. Manny Diaz is on that list, the Broyles Award, to be one of the top assistant coaches in the country. We'll talk more about that in a moment because James Franklin uh, looked ahead of it on Diaz, and we'll discuss this defense as they look for another big-time matchup against Michigan State. But, Daniel, the, the injuries, uh, the, we still are not closing the door on Joey Porter Jr., Olu Fashionu. Uh, both of those guys have missed the last couple games. In Fashionu's case, he hasn't played since October. Um, and in each of these in each of these pieces, you're talking about NFL draft prospects who a lot of people are projecting as first-round talent. Now, neither of these guys have come out and said they're ready to move on or, or, or that if they don't play again with Penn State this season, they're not going to play with Penn State again. But there's plenty of people who are projecting it that way. And for James Franklin to continue saying he's not doing it on his own. He's having conversations with players and parents for him to say, hey, the door is open. You could see Olu back. You could see Porter back, and he actually referenced this week, uh, not just talking big picture with the bull, which brings up a whole different topic of conversation. Definitely. I, I thought it was an interesting kind of line line of uh, communication. I think that they're you know, reading between the lines after the Rutgers game last week. Uh, we we kind of knew the Parker Washington news was coming, um, the way that James Franklin framed it in terms of needing to talk to Parker, needing to talk to the family, needing to get some things in order. Um, I think that, you know, get in kind of the, the James Franklin language, uh, you can kind of translate that to, to what we ended up hearing today. Um, but I mean, the possibility of Fashionu and Porter coming back again this year, whether it's this Saturday against Michigan State, whether it's in late December or early January for a bowl game is just really interesting when you consider, um, you know, what is around uh, kind of surrounding this with the conversation about the draft conversation about the opt-outs um, you know, how all of these different pieces kind of fit into those guys' future. Because I think after last season, the, the number of opt-outs that there were and kind of the, the timing of them and the different positions um, that they came at, I, you know, I'm curious if Penn state is going to be a little bit more proactive this year in kind of pinning some of these things down um, earlier um, in the month. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's one regular season game left, and I don't think that 
given the timeline that a lot of people were expecting to see either of these players again, um, especially Porter with kind of that um, timeline for, for the appendix, but we'll see. I mean, it's definitely a different layer. Uh, as we've said before, it's, it's another uh, reason to get those binoculars out and, and keep an eye on pregame warmups at, at Beaver Stadium on Saturday. And perhaps it speaks to the energy, electricity that, that, that people are describing in the Lash building right now about what's happened here in November, about the way the team has responded to a, a tough stretch of Big Ten playing, about what they may be building toward. And there's kind of a sense right now, and you can pick it up from the player calls, you can certainly pick it up with James Franklin, that you know, there's not – Guys aren't excited to get to the finish line. You you can watch a lot of tired head coaches you know, mope their way up to a press conference podium this week across college football, and you can tell guys are ready to shut it down and be done with this season. Penn State, they I think if you tack two or three more Big Ten games on the schedule, gave them a chance to, to, to show what they're about, they'd be all on board. They have that kind of buy-in right now, and I think – when you're talking about getting guys back on board at this stage of the season and, and when there's medical things involved there, it says a lot about that guys still want to play for each other and still want to be part of this process. And, uh, Mark, we don't want to get too far down the road because it, it, it's a very feel-good moment right now for Penn State, and, and you can you can pick up on those vibes, but they got to take care of business in Beaver Stadium. Michigan State, to me, a, a team that we just heard a, quite a bit about from Stephen Brooks, who covers them on a day-to-day basis, they are ripe for the picking if it doesn't go well for them early. I mentioned this about Rutgers last week, that Rutgers was probably going to have a, a punch or two to land on Penn State, but I didn't feel like they were poised to be able to respond if Penn State got it going. They had their moment a couple weeks ago at Michigan. Felt like Michigan State, because of what happened last week, blowing the lead against a bad Indiana team, coming into this matchup now, maybe they got the carrot at the end of the stick going to a bowl game. But how much do they want to compete for each other right now? How much do they want to buy in and play and extend their season for each other? Because right now there's a could easily be a lot of finger pointing going on in East Lansing. I don't want to pretend to know what's going on, but we're talking about everybody's you know skipping around town here. You could understand why it would be a very different setting for Mel Tucker the way his third year is coming to a crash. Yeah, we were in the, the press box at Rutgers watching some of those games unfold, and it was very difficult to keep an eye on that one because there were some other big games going on at the time. I mean, Michigan, Illinois, and it, but it was tough to track it. So when you look at how that uh, Michigan State-Indiana game played out, when you go back and, and see that, that Michigan State scored a touchdown – with about six minutes to go in the third quarter and then did not score again in the fourth quarter or in two overtimes. So it went two quarters in two overtimes, scoring seven points against the worst defense in the Big Ten. What is that telling you? Yeah, I mean, that's telling you that guys have basically mailed it in. And I know they're banged up. I know Mel Tucker's talked about that. But everybody's banged up. I mean, Penn State's has lost has been without, you know, two potential first round draft picks and Parker Washington, who is in that kind of next tier behind those two guys of guys who have the opportunity if they declare to be drafted. So, I mean, I looked at that and I was, I was like, wow, you know, it's one thing for Indiana. We, we, Indiana is a team that could get things going offensively, but to, to do it basically running a wildcat offense, I mean, that, that when I took a closer look at that game, I have to do my predictions. I always say this uh, when we film our Nitwits TV show on Sunday, and it's very difficult to do because you're traveling. And, but it's it, we do it, and it's fun, and and people enjoy it. And but I always kind of stick with it. And I I made my prediction, and I was thinking, geez, I wondered that did I pick this too wide? And I know we have a prediction segment coming up, uh, but then I looked at the way that game unfolded, and it's like, wow, that looked a lot like. You know, and, and that looked a lot like maybe Penn State, what it was doing last year, how, how these kind of situations have really changed over the last year. And I, and I think you're exactly right. You feel the energy with Penn State. I'll go back to what Sean, Sean Clifford, after the Rutgers game, uh, said a couple things. I talked about one of them with the running backs earlier in the week. But he was all he was getting wistful. I mean, he was getting you could you can see that it was really setting into him that his career is winding down and he doesn't you know he obviously i think if he had a chance to come back and play a seventh year but you could see that 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 was starting to set in so penn state's really been good in these games you guys haven't seen as many of them because the the schedule switched for a few years ago but these michigan state games at the end of seasons penn state has typically played very well especially when it's had something to play for and I think you're looking at two kind of ships passing in the night here. 
That's how it felt a couple of years ago. Mel, T- Mel Tucker was in his first year. I don't think they managed to play more than six games or so in 2020 because of yeah. what happened in East Lansing. But they were in a situation where they were they were spiraling. They were not finishing strong, and Penn State was riding that momentum. And, and they you know blew out the Spartans in that matchup a couple of December's ago here. Um, last year, of course, snowy day, East Lansing. They put the finishing touches on a 10-win regular season. And you're wondering, well, what's the staying power going to look like for Michigan State? Because we've seen James Franklin fight that battle, getting to the top of the Big Ten East or getting near the top of the Big Ten East and then trying to go there annually. I mean, you can't say anything else, but it's been a supreme disappointment in that regard, Daniel. And at the same time, you've got to be cautious here with Penn State because, look, you're riding this wave, but you're going to go up against a squad that I'd imagine you're going to get at least one half of impassioned play. Beyond that, I'm not so sure. I mean, it, it's still a talented program, e- even with the guys that are suspended um, and are suspended or injured, you know, that they're missing. I think there's still a lot of players that you look at the roster and, and you really like them. I mean, I'm a big Jaden Reed fan, uh, the wide receiver and, and kick returner, number one. Um, Keon Coleman, another wide receiver, has had a really good year. Um, and last year, you know, even though they were riding Kenneth Walker, I, I still liked what Peyton Thorne could do. Um, so there, there is talent that's there. Um, you know, this is a program that has had a lot of turnover based on how they've used the transfer portal portal early in Mel Tucker's tenure. Um, but it's still, it's still a rivalry game. Um, it's a program that has the talent and yeah, I, you know, I like to think that Mel Tucker is a good motivator. Um, it seemed like that that was kind of last year that it was really personality driven. He was able to get those guys ready for games um, have them up for things, but it does seem like there's such a, a big gulf between what they could be and what the injuries and, and absences and whatnot have created. Um, you know, you look at that Michigan game uh, before all those suspensions came down and it was kind of like he said, it was like a half and then Michigan just kind of pulled away there, you know, sat on them and, and, and gapped them. So yeah, it will be interesting to see what we see on Saturday, but all the indications that we've gotten from uh, Penn State have been that they're in a they're in a, a good position, and I think that the you know, the veterans that we've that we've talked to, um, the captains that we've talked to, um, I'm pretty sure everyone we talked to t- today on Tuesday can't come back. You know, like this is this is the end end for them. Um, and you know, I felt like they all did a good job of kind of balancing the the big picture view of things and. You know, reflecting on their careers, which you know we're grateful for uh, to to get that perspective. With also, you know, we've got one more chance. We're looking forward to this opportunity, you know, to really close things out and 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 end on a high note at Beaver Stadium. Sean Clifford specifically took a couple minutes at the start of of his availability with us on Tuesday just to deliver a statement, kind of expressing some gratitude for his relationship with the media. When you're a starting quarterback for this long at a program that's in this kind of a spotlight, it's an interesting dynamic. You've heard this podcast, the conversations that have occurred about number 14. But I think Rich Garcella, who's covered this beat as long as anybody else, said on the call with Sean, we always respected the way – win, lose, draw. He showed up at the podium on the road. Uh, it could be a, a, after a particularly bad performance for him. He showed up. He owned to it as long as he was medically able to do it. And uh, certainly we'll remember Sean for that. But like I said, we'll talk to him again on Saturday, I think. So this is not goodbye. And I think something to note here, and I could be getting the wrong sense, but Mark, do you get the vibe? And, and Daniel, feel free to chime in on this, that that there's an unspoken sentiment at Penn State where if they get to this 10th win and they punch their ticket to a high-profile bowl against some kind of top-10 matchup at a great destination, that guys are going to say, let's do, let's do this one more time. Let's have, let's have fun for the next month and get it done. There's going to be some, some financial decisions that I think have to be weighed, but certainly different than last year where it felt like the moment that regular season snap ends – regardless of where the bowl is and they, they, they played, they punched up last year uh, that, that it was going to be kind of a dispersal of talent across the country, guys heading back to home. Am I getting the right read there? Or am I, am I just reading too much into a really happy hunky dory kind of a week? No, I mean, why else would Joey Porter Jr. and Olu Fashanu even be considering coming back? I mean, would they really come back for one game? You know what I mean? For, for the Michigan state game, which is, I don't want to say it's meaningless, but in terms of their pro careers, it's meaningless. Uh, in terms of them wanting to come back and be with their teammates, yeah, I think it's very meaningful. But I don't think either of those guys 
if 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 Franklin is just going to tell us that uh, Parker Washington is done for the year with an injury, I mean, those guys could take the same route. They could just say, "Listen, I don't want to risk it," but they're not. And, and if if he's saying they're trying to get back, I, I don't know why else he would do that other than if then then it's true that 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 they're trying to get back. And I think that's the biggest indicator. You know, I also think I'm fairly certain, and 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 I, I don't know for 100 percent sure. But I think some of the NIL deals that are involved here, uh, guys have agreed to play in bowl games. Uh, and I think you're going to end up seeing that. I don't know if they'll admit that, but I think that may come into play with it as well. I, I think when you look at what we heard today, I, I think that, you know, there is no like, um, you know, mystery about whether or not Sean Clifford, you know, would would come back for a bowl game based on where he mm-hmm. is in his career. And I think that's the case for a lot of these sixth year guys where, if you're coming back for the sixth year, then, you know, those NFL hopes, you know, based on age projection, that whole thing, those kind of take a, a, a backseat. But you know, Clifford was pretty, you know, explicit about playing in the bowl game today where he got asked to reflect on a couple particular moments from his career. And, you know, he elect, you know, he deferred to, you know, when, you know, at the bowl game, you know, we can, you know, I'll be in a better position to reflect. I'll be in a better position um, you know, to look back on some of these things and I'll have some more answers for you. Uh, Jair Brown was announced or was asked about it. And he said that he hadn't talked about it yet. Um, you know, big picture, James Franklin got asked if, if Parker Washington, you know, would come back next year, or if there had been discussions about that yet. And James Franklin said that just in general, that all those discussions are, are ongoing. Um, but I mean, my whole stance with the bowl games is that if someone opts out, I completely understand it. And that's, you know, they're right. Uh, If someone decides that they want to play in a bowl game, that's cool too. You know, selfishly, some of these guys, it's great to get to watch them play another game, um, especially when it could be against some pretty high level competition in a cool environment. Uh, That's just kind of how I look at it, but it it will be interesting um, to see uh, what kind of decisions are made. And, you know, personally, I think that the type of bowl, shouldn't necessarily sway whether or not someone plays in the bowl game, but for these guys on the team when they're in there and this is what they've been working towards on that inside, I am curious to see um, if, you know, making a new year six bowl is something that, that gets more guys to say, yeah, I'm in. And I also think that speaks to what Tyler was saying earlier about how this team has not packed it in that the energy has stayed up. Um, that there's really been some momentum to to closing this year. And I think that that's really commendable. Um, I think that James Franklin made a comment about the leadership being really good this year. Um, and I think that that's something that could keep um, these types of things together. Yeah, I wanted to actually quickly reference something that James Franklin said about that leadership. He said, quote, it is as good as it's been in a while. He said, quote, they've kind of led the charge uh, when it comes to keeping their locker room accountable. He said, quote, we're in a really good place. Positivity spreads and so can negativity. Uh, You've got to work toward that positivity. And this is a guy that I think has fought those battles in the locker room within his program, probably where he sees that, uh, you know, tug of war between the team trending downhill and the team going up in a positive direction. So uh, nice to see where they're at right now when you look about around collectively. Uh, do we have lawn work getting done outside of someone's house? Because I am definitely here. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, it's me. I'm, I'm guilty. There's, must be there's snow some, blower. I don't know what's going on. There's some pretty yeah. winter cleanup going on. I apologize. But there's, listen, it, it, there's nothing I could do about it. So just. Go about your business, people. There's nothing to hear here. <laughs> hey, well, I'm just I'm happy for you that you're not doing it yourself. And, and so- yeah, and he's like literally right outside the window here, like like as as close as you could possibly be. But I, it's it, it is what it is. So would carry <laughs> carry on and and just enjoy the 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 uh, the soothe sound of a of, of a lawnmower and leaf blowers and all those things. Love it's the ambiance, ambiance of late November in Happy Valley. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't hear a thing. It's <laughs> well, before we get to, to the guys who are going to be involved in this game, let's talk about the, the factor that is now Parker Washington's absence. Uh, he was leading the team with 46 catches on the season, leading the team with 611 receiving yards. He had two scores on the year, uh, 80 yards shy of 2,000 receiving yards is Parker Washington in his Penn State career. That's on 146 catches. He has 12 touchdowns. Uh, that's topped with six scores 
as a freshman. Uh, we certainly didn't see him take that major ascension to being the number one sustained game in, game out. He had a big moment against Ohio State, and he already laid it out. The guy's caught a lot of passes at the college level. He's been doing it for three years now. He's got a decision to make. Certainly his unavailability here won't help that cause. Don't know what it's going to mean for his ability to prepare in the offseason if he were to look toward the NFL. Um, but focusing in for right now with Penn State, should mean a lot more opportunity for some of the younger guys that we're still trying to get our heads around. Harrison Wallace comes to mind, guys. Uh, he had a, he had another big gain last week. He's got three catches of 25-plus yards on the season. And right now, he's at a, close to 14 yards per catch, which leads all Penn State receivers. There's some other guys out there right now, but he's someone I think can seize a moment. Yeah, I also I think, think they're – I'm sorry, Daniel, but I think they're lucky. They're very fortunate, in my view, that you have a Mitchell Tinsley who they're able to move into that slot position – uh, pretty seamlessly, you know, I thought. I mean, he, he didn't have the, the the big explosive play that I thought he might have in that game uh, it, uh, against Rutgers. But I think having that piece that you could allow some other guys to do things on the outside is big. How much how much more uh, of an opportunity is this for Amari Evans and Keandre Lambert-Smith? I think we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for him to, to, to really break out you know, here we are at the end of the year. He's had a couple of – he's flashed a few times, but the opportunities are there now for some of these younger receivers. Well, let, let me just say on Lambert Smith, just, just from putting some some stats together earlier, uh, he had three catches uh, against uh, Rutgers, but they did not go anywhere. Uh, it was his first start since October 1st. Three catches, nine yards, and he now has on five catches during this three-game win streak – only 20 total receiving yards. So when the opportunities have come for him, it hasn't been the kind of momentum shifting playmakers that we've seen. And he started to run out of real estate in year number three to make that kind of a move. Definitely. I think that Keandre Lambert Smith was someone that Taylor Stubblefield talked about the, the trajectory. Um, he, he always used Jahan Dotson as kind of the, the example of it where Year one, Dotson was this. Year two, it was this sleep. Year three, it was this sort of progression. Um, and I think that we saw Parker Washington make that, make the, take those steps forward. And, um, you know, I think that Stubblefield had hopes for Keandre Lambert-Smith to do something similar um, because his numbers from year one to year two went up. Then the idea is that they go up in year three. At the same time, uh, you know, improvement projection isn't always linear. Um, development isn't linear. And then I think also something you have to factor in with all of the receivers this year is that when you look at the numbers that they put up last year, you know, John Watson was over a thousand yards. Um, Parker Washington was over 800 yards. Uh, there wasn't a running game. You know, there weren't Nick Singleton and, and Katron Allen in the backfield. Um, when Penn State got into a lot of these games that they had to throw it. Um, there was really no other way around it. And I think that that kind of, you know, with, with those numbers, but uh, in terms of Parker absent, I think Trey Wallace is in the best position to benefit from that based on what we saw um, in terms of instead of putting in Liam Clifford or Caden Saunders as the first team slot, um, I think that Clifford has been the next man up there um, and what we've seen later in games and when they go further down the depth chart, um, that electing to move Mitchell Tinsley inside and putting Harrison Wallace on the field, um, I think that that bodes well for you know, what we've heard behind the scenes with, with Wallace and actually seeing the trust that they have in him, that they're putting him out there as a starting outside wide receiver. Um, because we've heard a lot about him being a potential big play threat. So this is a really good opportunity for him to show that um, to, to all of us in, in this game. And, you know, who knows what the depth chart will look like in the bowl game. Um, but I think he's someone who's very well positioned uh, to get some opportunities and, and to really be able to take advantage of them. We're also at a point in the season now where you can you can do what you want to do with a lot of these freshmen because there's no threat of burning the red shirt. These guys who have two games or fewer, uh, you know, Vega Ioane is someone I'm specifically going to be really curious to see if we get a long look at him with some guard reps this Saturday and then into the bowl game. But on the perimeter, Caden Saunders 
know, two games to his credit, we, we heard from Taylor Stubblefield last week about how Saunders went through some growing pains early in his transition, learning what it was going to be like day to day from from every angle as a as a student athlete at this level to perform at a high level. And sounds like he's caught up a little bit now. And, and I'm curious to see if, if, that, if that's going to earn him uh, you know, some audition here late in November into December as they get ready for their postseason matchup. Um, so that's another name to factor in there at wide receiver. Let's talk about players to know, and then we'll get to our predictions for Penn State versus Michigan State. And Mark, we'll begin with you. It's senior day, of course, but it's also hard not to focus on the freshman class. Uh, where do you land and who you're looking at on both sides of the ball? Yeah, I would go uh, on de- on defense. I- I'm just going to keep rolling with Abdul Carter. I mean, I, l- I love what we've seen out of him. Uh, obviously, last week, Curtis Jacobs had a really big game, and I think the dynamic between the two of those uh, is very, very strong. And uh, we've been doing this a lot the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to kind of give an indication of where I might go with my bold prediction and saying, yeah, I think everybody's looking at saying Penn State's going to run the ball like crazy. I think it's going to be a big game for Sean Clifford. I think it's his last game in Beaver Stadium. Uh, I think all of his teammates want him to do really well, and I think he's going to come through and be the guy to watch. So old school on one side, new school on the other. And I'm, I'm toggling my mic on and off here to, 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 to try to prevent people's ears from being blown out. Sorry. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm going to look on, on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think I'll go with PJ Mustafer uh, in the middle, uh, you know, focus on a senior final home game at Beaver stadium. Someone who's meant a lot and done a lot. Um, you look at the Michigan state rushing offense, number one Oh five nationally, uh, 121 rushing yards per game. Uh, their leading rusher, Jalen Berger is acting only 4.7 yards per carry. Um, I think that Penn state will be able to, you know, muck things up up front and, when you do that, that starts with PJ Mustafer uh, in the middle. Um, offensively, um, I think I'll go with Omari Evans and, and Harrison Wallace. Um, I think that you know if they do what Mark says and we we're in for a big Sean Clifford game, um, I think that those guys will get the chance to make a big play um, against this Michigan State defense, which is number eighty-five in the nation, two hundred thirty-six point eight yards per game. Um, I think that there will be the the opportunity for. Sean Clifford and, and these wide receivers to test the Spartans deep. Um, and I think if you're going to beat them deep, it's going to be Harrison Wallace um, or Omari Evans. All right. I'll, I'll go with uh, a Detroit native uh, in Kobe King for my defensive player to watch. I think when you look outside of the starting lineup, because of the way Manny Diaz has rolled uh, players at different positions, there are a bunch of guys you can consider, you know, starter, starter level talent. Uh, Saki Wheatley, Jalen Reed at safety, but I think Kobe King is fitting that bill. He's not getting that volume of, of reps versus Tyler Elston, but he's making the most of them. Uh, we saw the scoop and score for a 14-yard touchdown. He also led this team in tackles against Rutgers despite playing uh, significant, significantly less than Tyler Elston. I feel like generally Kobe King during the second half of the season went a lot of opportunities, has handled himself well. This is a spot that, that we've said since August probably wasn't going to be settled through the season. It was going to be a spot maybe you throw Abdul Carter into the factor there next year as well. But I think Kobe King has done well. I think he's exiting the regular season on a kind of a, a positive trajectory. And I think he'll add to that with a strong performance against the team that would probably love for him to be in their uniform on this Saturday. Uh, other side of the ball, I'll, you know, I'll go back with somebody who, who's from that area as well, just across the, the water, Theo Johnson. Uh, you know, I think he's somebody who's going to, uh, break out again. Uh, he, he had a bit of a pause in that. No catches against Rutgers. He played a ton of football last Saturday, uh, but I think he gets back into the swing of things, gets into the end zone, and kind of adds to this really strong second half of the season that he's had. And, and just two linemen to throw there, J.B. Nelson, Vega Ioane. It's time to see what they have. J.B. Nelson, maybe you wait because he's at that three-game mark, so maybe it's more of a, a, a bowl opportunity for him. But I think the, the, the door is wide open right now, not only to get Vega Ioane some reps and some experience in Big Ten play, but to pull the leash back a little bit on some of these linemen who've been playing a lot of football in the month of November. We've talked about the group that they've done. Uh, Salim Wormley, Hunter Norzat, Juice Scruggs. I think it's time to find some some opportunities to get these guys to the sideline, get them a little bit of late season rest, and, and start to see what you've got, some younger components. Uh, but you've got to build a lead to get there. So speaking of that, what do we think about this game? It's an 18-point spread. Uh, last I checked at Caesar Sportsbook, which is a big margin. Uh, that's Penn State's highest margin, uh, uh, second highest margin coming off of a 19.5-point spread, I think it was last week, at Rutgers. So, uh, Mark, this is 
typically a matchup that you know, is, is hanging in the balance a lot of times in the James Franklin era. But right now you see the reversal of fortunes for these two programs and you kind of buy into that betting line, I think. Yeah, a little history lesson. I could bring it up here. 2016, Penn State 45-12, 2008, 49-18, 2004-37-13, 2002-61-7, 98-51-28, 94-59-31. There have been some big-time blowouts in this game. These are all LGT land-grant trophy games in Beaver Stadium to close the year. So I just think the way this Penn State team's rolling and what we saw from Michigan State against Indiana, I'm looking at another big Penn State win, 45-10. to 10. My bold predictions, number one, Sean Clifford gets the loudest ovation on senior day of any of the seniors. The, uh, bold prediction number two, Sean Clifford matches his career high with four passing touchdowns. Could get to five if it's a close game, but I don't think it's going to be a close game. And then I'll have one more bold prediction. Uh, the offensive linemen are going to be just fine after they hoist the gigantic land-grant trophy. They've been working really hard in the weight room with Chuck Lousy and Losey, and, and they need that strength. And, and it's going to show up. It shows up at the NFL Combine. It's going to show up after the game when they're able to easily hoist the 800-pound land-grant trophy. Did you give us a score there? 45-10. Okay, so I heard a lot of scores, and they were all in favor of Penn State, so I knew I'd help one of them. All right, Daniel, good Pick luck. One of them. Take one of them. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going a, a similar similar route with Mark. Um, I, I think that the way that Penn State is playing, um, you know, where they are versus – uh, how Michigan State has been playing, where Michigan State is as a program right now. I'm going Penn State 49, Michigan State 20. Um, I think that Penn State shouldn't have a problem moving the ball, um, but I think Michigan State will be able to at least move the ball a tiny bit. Um, I mean, I, I talked about my thoughts on the quarterback play uh, that Penn State has seen recently, and I think Peyton Thorne is a little bit better um, or should play a little bit better than what we've seen. Um, but but going off how Michigan State played against Indiana last week, uh, that feeds into my bold prediction a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to say both Katron Allen and Nick Singleton go over 100 yards uh, for Penn State. Um, I do think we're going to see some big plays from Sean Clifford, but I think the bread and butter is going to be just pounding the ball inside, letting Allen and Singleton work. Uh, they each have two 100-yard no, I think Singleton has three, but you know they each have a couple hundred yard games this year. But they add to it, and for the first time, they do it in the same game against Michigan State on Saturday. All right, um, I'm going Penn State big as well, covering that spread that we referenced. Um, 41-17 is my pick for Penn State, getting to that 10 and two record. We focused on this matchup back in August as one that would maybe be a season defining one and, and trying to determine the trajectory of this program. Here we are, and, and it's all available for Penn State. They just got to seize it. I just don't see the Spartans being able to, to counter many punches, especially as we get beyond intermission, as the weather as it gets as it gets colder, darker, and deeper, and the reality sets in that their season is coming to a close. I just don't know that we're going to see that level of fight for Michigan State to match the momentum that Penn State's bringing into this matchup, and, and I don't think that's going to dissipate as they get some early success offensively and defensively. Takeaways are going to be the story again. I think they'll win that battle significantly. Uh, yet another week stringing those kind of performances together uh, for Manny Diaz's defense. And I'm with Mark. I think Sean Clifford's going to end on a sharp note in Beaver Stadium. I don't necessarily know it's going to be as gaudy and as explosive as you anticipate, but my bold prediction goes back to the, to his backfield teammates. I think Nick Singleton and Catron Allen fittingly finish the regular season tied for the all-time rushing touchdown record. And I'm going to say they both end up with 11. Uh, so that's going to give them – that's going to give Catron two on the day, Singleton one score on the day, and they can settle this thing in whatever bowl game we get to go cover them. Uh, so there you go. 10-2 uh, and two is the pick for all three of us. Uh, we had a lot to say about this matchup. Meanwhile, there is a bunch going on about recruiting. We are just on the precipice of things going nuts from Penn State player personnel standpoint, uh, transfer portal action. We've got a lot going on behind the scenes uh, at VIP up. Uh, Tyler Calvaruza is all over the recruiting developments. There's official visits getting locked in for early December. And I'm going to quickly pass the mic to Mark Brennan, uh, who does a great job 
getting his spiel out there about our Black Friday deal because we're getting this out early in the week. We might as well make you informed because I think this is our best offer of the year. And it's right before things are really going to get haywire in terms of who's staying, who's going and who might be coming to campus next season. Yeah, 75 percent off a, a new annual sub. I mean, it's a great deal. I mean, it, it, considering the amount of recruiting content that we have out there. Uh, what you're able to get on the message boards, you know, VIP content, VIP discussion uh, all around. So this is the perfect time of year uh, with the season ending. Remember, the early signing period is in December now. So you have official visits. Uh, you, you have the transfer portal. You have all of this stuff that's going on. Once the regular season ends, that's not the end of it. So we get in the spirit of things. We know people are looking for values on Black Friday. This is a great value here at Lines 247, 75% off. Just go to the site, uh, click the button where it says to join, and would love to have you as part of our VIP community. Uh, and if you're already a VIP member, we want to remind everybody, Paramount Plus is there for you. If you're a full-paying VIP member, Paramount Plus is part of your subscription. So go to the Lions Pride board. If you don't already have that, activate it. Take advantage. There's a lot of cool stuff on Paramount Plus. And remember, 2024, CBS, 24. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, Paramount Plus are going to be covering a lot of the Big Ten action because the Big Ten rights are shifting to those networks. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so a lot available for you right now. There's a lot going on. And by the way, we get, what, eight days of, of exhaustive, endless speculation about bowl, bowl projections because we won't find out where Penn State's going until after that first Saturday of December when all the conference championships are sorted out. All right, fellas, uh, see you in the press box. Hope you both enjoy your Thanksgiving. I know Daniel's on the move. Uh, see you on Saturday and, and hope all of our listeners enjoy their holiday. Uh, we'll be back with a post-game episode uh, of this Lions 24-7 podcast, number 12 on the season after Michigan State, Penn State, Saturday evening. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside. Big thanks to Mark and Daniel and Stephen Brooks from the Michigan State site. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.